I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I am George, a part-time trucker who finds himself on the road transporting animals for a rodeo event in Oklahoma. On one fateful night, as I traversed a desolate highway in the heart of Oklahoma, nature called, and I was in desperate need of a restroom break. I maneuvered my truck to the side of the road and decided to venture into the nearby desert to relieve myself. As I relieved the pressure, an unsettling odor wafted through the air, assaulting my senses with its pungency. Finished with my task, I turned my attention toward the source of the scent, squinting into the distance. To my shock, I beheld an unknown humanoid creature, its presence both fascinating and unnerving. The creature stood tall, approximately eight feet in height, with a complexion that seemed to meld shades of dark gray and hints of brown. A peculiar mane, reminiscent of a male lion's, but with shorter hair along its body and legs, adorned its frame. What struck me the most was its ability to walk upright on its hind legs, resembling a distorted fusion of human and animal attributes. As my eyes met its gaze, a shiver crawled down my spine. 
glowing with an otherworldly intensity. The creature's eyes held an eerie hue, reminiscent of flickering flames from the depths of the netherworld. Intrigued and unnerved, I reached for the flashlight conveniently placed behind me in the truck cabin. With trembling hands, I aimed the beam toward the mysterious figure, hoping to catch a clearer glimpse of its form. Yet as the light pierced through the darkness, the creature vanished before my eyes, dissolving into the night like a fleeting apparition. The only remnants of its presence were the echoes of my own rapid heartbeat and the lingering questions that danced in my mind. Perplexed and filled with a sense of wonder mixed with trepidation, I retraced my steps back to the truck, pondering the enigma that had unfolded before me. Was this encounter with an unknown creature some kind of cryptid? Or had my mind conjured a fantastical apparition in the solitude of the desert night? Throughout the remainder of my journey, the memory of that peculiar creature remained etched in my thoughts. Its existence challenged the boundaries of what I believed to be possible, opening my mind to the vast mysteries that lie concealed within the tapestry of our world. As I continued my trucking endeavors, I carried with me not only the cargo I transported, but also the haunting curiosity of that enigmatic encounter, forever etched in my memories. My friend's mom is a big backpacker. In the 80s, she hiked a pretty large portion of the Pacific Crest Trail. On some of her trips, she would go solo. This was one of those trips. She was out there for a little over a week, just hiking and taking pictures and camping along the trail. Anyway, trip goes off without a hitch, and she had a great time. Now, mind you, this was back before digital cameras, so after she got back from her trip, she went to get her film developed. She got her pictures back and was looking through them when suddenly her heart dropped. Amongst the pictures she took of all the great landscapes were multiple pictures taken at night of her sleeping. Remember, she was solo on the trip. Someone had seen her on the trail, snuck into her camp at night, and took pictures of her while she slept. For some reason, I want to say, there were pics from multiple places she stayed, like the dude had been following her. But I might be making that part up. She never went solo again. I always try to lean towards a logical explanation. A couple of years ago, my hunting partner and I were doing some bear hunting about six miles in a long way off trail. He slept in a hammock and I was in a tent. I woke up to him screaming at something to get the F out of here and then the sound of him running off into the woods. I immediately thought about how ballsy he was to chase something off into the dark like that. Then he yelled at me from his sleeping spot to get out there with my pistol and light. I was out there in seconds, and he was tangled in his mummy bag and hammock, rifle in hand and ghost white. There was someone standing over me, and I saw their silhouette. They ran when I yelled. This was like 2 a.m., and we never found any trace of anyone the next day. I know what I heard definitely was running on two legs. My buddy used to be the kind of guy that did a bunch of solo backpacking, but now he won't go into the woods overnight alone. A few years ago, I was bow hunting the edge of a bean field in central Oklahoma. 
first night of the season that I had made it out, and the first time I had hunted this location. Twenty minutes before dark, I have several does feed right out of the woods underneath my stand. They continue to feed right up until dark, and I, of course, am listening for a buck to crunch leaves behind them. Right as it gets almost too dark to shoot, I notice the does get super nervous just suddenly at something across the field. We all know this is normal for a group of does, but they had been chill the entire twenty minutes or so I had watched them. I'm looking around for a buck or maybe a coyote. After thirty seconds or so, the does completely lose it and haul out of there. Just as I'm thinking, man, that is weird. I see a brown figure leaping from the back corner of this sixty-acre field and clearing three, four rows of beans at a time. My mind is wondering how in the world a coyote could do that as it's heading straight towards where the does ran into the woods. As the figure crossed closest to me at probably eighty yards, I realized that it was a long-tailed cat. I had never seen one in person at this time, but they are extremely rare in that area. I went from casually thinking it was a coyote to wondering how the heck was I gonna get back to my truck in the dark. I decided to carry a firearm while archery hunting after that day. About thirteen, fifteen years ago, my now wife and I were driving from Virginia to Tennessee. We were in the mountains on the interstate, I forty in the middle of nowhere. I don't think I was more than an hour or two past I eighty. One, but I could be wrong. It was a while ago. It was pitch black late at night. Nobody else on the road. A few cars drove by on the other side of the interstate from time to time, heading east, not in our direction. However, we were the only car on this stretch of the road in either direction. At the time of our sighting, a large creature ran across the interstate from our left to the right toward the woods. It sort of galloped like a horse, but its mouth, teeth, and face were very canine. Upper body thick, lower body thin, like a dog. Its body somewhat resembled a wolf. But it was too tall to be one, especially for Tennessees. It was as tall or slightly taller than our car. Its upper body was very thick compared to its lower body. It paused between the lanes, looked at us, then darted into the woods. I'm a logical person, I N T J, but the creature struck fear in both of us. A friend later told me that we might have seen a balding black bear, but. Given the size and body shape, I just don't think that was the case. We both talk about the sighting from time to time. For geographic context, I live in the middle of nowhere in Texas, between New Mexico and Oklahoma. A lot of open farmland in these parts. I moved back to my childhood home with my father back in May '22, and I had started hearing knocks above my bedroom window on the house at night. One night around 10 or 11 p.m., I was walking from my car to the front door, which is around 50 feet, and I heard someone walk up behind me and ask me what I was doing here. I recently moved back, but all of our neighbors have been here since I was a kid and all knew me. When they're all old men too. I know their voices. This wasn't anyone I knew. 
When I turned around, there wasn't a soul in sight to have run away from where I could see them. It would have been 100 yards to the nearest bush or house behind me. Things are spread far apart in my neighborhood. It's a rural area. I haven't heard voices anymore, but I continue to hear bangs consistently around the front door and the wall. My bed is nearest. I've also been staying in a more populated city with my boyfriend half of the week, and very rarely do I hear the knocks and bangs while I'm there with him. We've also installed doorbell cameras, but they never catch anything. Not even normal explanations for the banging around the door. When the banging happens, the camera is never activated to take a video. This has all been going on for almost a full year now. What do y'all think? I'll never forget that camping trip, the one that left me questioning everything I thought I knew about the woods. My family and I had just moved to Oregon from Colorado, and we were eager to explore our new surroundings. We decided to embark on our first camping trip in our new state, choosing a spot at the base of Mount Hood near Clear Lake. Little did we know what awaited us. We passed several campsites as we drove around the lake, eventually turning off onto a very overgrown road. Our four-wheelers strained under the onslaught of branches and bushes, but we pressed on, determined to find the perfect campsite. When we finally arrived at our destination, we were surprised to find a huge pile of firewood, enough to last us for days. Strange, I thought, wondering if the previous campers had heard something unsettling and decided to leave in a hurry. As we set up camp, our usually calm dog began to act strangely, barking and growling at seemingly nothing. We dismissed his behavior as a reaction to the new environment and carried on, not realizing the significance of his actions. That night, as we sat around the fire, we heard strange noises coming from the woods. At first, we thought it might be other campers playing a prank on us, but the sounds grew more and more unnerving. It was as if someone or something was circling our campsite, watching us from the shadows. As the hours passed, the noises intensified and our dog grew increasingly agitated. Fear crept into our hearts as we huddled together, wondering what could be lurking out there in the dark. Finally, unable to bear the tension any longer, we decided to pack up and leave. We hastily gathered our belongings and piled into the four-wheeler, our dog still barking and snarling at the unseen presence. When we returned to Clear Lake the following summer, we discovered that the road leading to our campsite had been closed. The reasons for the closure remain unknown, but I can't help but wonder if others had experienced the same unsettling events we had. I don't know what we encountered that night, but one thing is certain— the memory of that camping trip will stay with me for the rest of my life, a chilling reminder of the mysteries that lurk in the shadows of the woods. Let me start off by saying my husband is native, and this happened about six years before I met him. My ex-husband was stationed in San Diego, and I flew out there to visit him. Unfortunately, I wasn't allowed to stay with him on the base for whatever reason. Don't ask me, because I don't even know myself. Also, I should add, I had just given birth about three months before this, and I had my son with me. 
Anyway, I found a hotel that wasn't far from the base and close to food and whatnot. I went out to get some food and then walked back to the hotel since it wasn't far. Unfortunately, with my horrible sense of direction, I got lost and ended up near a wooded area, but there was a highway also nearby. It was getting close to sunset and I started seeing sets of shining eyes and I thought they were just coyote. I'm not afraid of much. After about 20 minutes, one set of shining eyes got closer and I saw it was a coyote. I watched Steve Irwin as a teenager and remembered that if you make yourself appear bigger and remembered that if you make yourself appear bigger and loud off. So I started clapping my hands and shouting. This one, however, didn't. It stood up and started walking like a person. I've never run away from something so fast. It never followed me and I wasn't going to stick around to find out what it was. It wasn't until I met my current husband that I found out what it was and the look on his face when I told him this story. He went pale. He never said anything. He just kind of nodded like he understood. Maybe it knew I was still semi-healing from having recently given birth or it saw my son in the stroller. I was pushing and just wanted to scare me. Either way, I don't know. I just know it succeeded in scaring me. This isn't really a question, it's more or less me telling the story of how I saw a skinwalker and didn't even know what it was at the time. My parents' house was always a place of comfort for me, a sanctuary, until the day my grandmother passed away. My mother, being the oldest, inherited the family Bible. It was an ancient tomb filled with brittle pages of scripture and, oddly enough, locks of hair from generations past. None of the hair was labeled, the identities of their owners lost to time. Things started to change in the house after the Bible came into our possession. It began with the light switches. We'd walk into a room only to find the lights turned off when we were certain they'd been left on. We shrugged it off as faulty wiring or forgetfulness. When my divorce was finalized, my two children and I moved into my parents' home. One night, while my children slept soundly in their beds, I was startled awake by a peculiar sensation. I could feel a pressure on the bed as though someone was sitting on the edge. The blankets were taut, the mattress creaked under the weight. I sat up looking around the dimly lit room but found nothing. I brushed it off as a dream, a figment of my overactive imagination. But it happened again, and again, every time, it was the same. The sensation of someone sitting on the bed, the mattress groaning under the phantom weight. I checked on my two-year-old each time, expecting to find him out of his bed, but he was always sound asleep. The incidents shook me, but I kept them to myself, not wanting to worry my children or parents. It wasn't until my sister came to visit that I realized I wasn't alone in my experiences. She'd been staying in the upstairs room, and one day, over coffee, she confided in me. Her stories mirrored my own. The feeling of an unseen presence. The sensation of someone sitting on her bed. We exchanged uneasy glances. A silent acknowledgement of the uncanny events taking place in our childhood home. We still don't know what to make of it. The old family Bible sits on the bookshelf, a relic of the past. Its pages filled with scripture and strands of hair. But the house feels different now. It's as if we're sharing it with someone else, someone we can't see. 
It's no longer just our home. It's theirs, too. But who they are, we may never know. New to the group, so wanted to share an experience I had back in the spring of 2018. I have had a few what could be considered paranormal experiences in my life, but this was the most recent and unnerving. I am an avid outdoorsman and love to hunt and camp around the Francis Marion and Sumter National Forest. Back in 2018, I took my young son and dog out to a remote area in the National Forest to test out a new camper shell on my recently purchased truck. We found the secluded area off a dirt road, made dinner, and then packed it in for the night as soon as it got dark. Around 11 p.m. at night, I sat up and looked out the back of the truck due to my dog growling. In the distance, I saw what looked like hundreds of small white balls of light darting around then hovering for a few seconds and slowly converging to our campsite. They looked just like the dust orbs you see on videos, but these were producing light in a completely dark forest. They soon surrounded my truck, seemed like hundreds of them. They were a soft white light, and they didn't blink. Lighting bugs were out early evening, but those were yellow and blinking. After 30 minutes of them floating around and concentrating around us, I finally worked up the nerve to open the truck and lit a lantern, and they promptly disappeared. After turning off the lights and locking back up, they came back. My son was fast asleep, thank goodness. I watched them until I finally fell asleep around 1 a.m. The next morning when we tried to leave, the battery was dead on the new truck. There wasn't any lights in the back cab where we would have used any power. A week later, I had to replace the electric control module. Not sure if that is relevant info, but thought I would edit. Has anyone had a similar experience? Just thinking about them again makes the hair stand up on my neck. This wasn't while hiking, but once a friend and I were driving on an old dirt road way out in the sticks in South Alabama, past an old 19th century cemetery, when out of nowhere, a truck starts tailgating us. This was really late at night, and even in the daytime, it would have been rare to see a vehicle, so we were a little creeped out. I speed up, and the truck stays right on my bumper. I'm now driving as fast as I can without flying off the road on this small, windy dirt road. Think Dukes of Hazard only in a Volvo station wagon. And still can't shake the truck. My buddy who was with me knew the area well and said that we were about to hit a paved road tube on. Intersection, and that there was also another small dirt road coming off at a sharp angle from that intersection. He said that if I could get ahead just enough to get out of immediate sight of the truck, then I could cut the wheel hard to the left and whip into the spur road and hopefully ditch the truck. I did what he said, but right when I start the turn at the T-bone, I see what looks like an incredibly tall person just inside the tree line across the paved road, covered head to toe and long hair. As I'm turning, I shout, holy shit, do you see? And before I can finish, my friend says, that big, tall, hairy guy. I finished the turn. We ditched the truck and got the hell out of there. But to this day, we really don't know what we saw.
driving through Idaho once in the dead of night, and there was this biker who'd been following for the last 50 miles. When you drive sometimes, it's just you and someone else for long stretches. I call them road buddies. He was my road buddy. I don't know when it happened, but I checked my mirror and he wasn't there anymore. There wasn't really anywhere to turn off, but maybe he pulled over for one reason or another. I look back up and there is a biker in front of me. I don't know if it's the same guy or not. Again, there's not really anywhere to pull over. It's just a bunch of flat, dry land with simple fencing on either side. I follow the guy for a mile or so, and all of a sudden he pitches hard right like he just took a pothole the worst way possible. I saw him tumble and watched his bike kick up a huge cloud of dust. We're not supposed to pull over or pick up hitchhikers, but in this kind of situation, I don't care what the company says. I pulled right over and got out, left the keys in it and everything. I walked back, must have been a quarter mile or more, and couldn't find hide nor hair of him or his bike. There were no marks from where he pulled off and no potholes either. I walked around calling out to him the dark for what felt like half an hour before walking back to my truck. When I climbed in there, he was sitting in my passenger seat. He was covered in blood, twigs, and dirt. His leg had been snapped off at the knee, and he had taken off his belt to make a tourniquet. He, his middle through pinky fingers, were pushed back and standing straight up. I asked him if he was okay, but he didn't say anything. He just sat there, silent. I tried to touch his shoulder to see if he was even awake, and his jaw fell open, and he let loose a hideous scream that still chills me to this day. His head fell forward, and he started vomiting blood. I screamed and fell backward out of my truck. I woke up, apparently, a few hours later with a state trooper asking me if I was okay. He was pretty smug about the whole thing and acted like I was making it up. I guess they found a teener of meth on the passenger seat and said it belonged to me. I tried telling them about the ghost rider, but nobody would listen. My dad and I have always loved the great outdoors, the thrill of hiking, the serenity of nature, the chance to bond and the allure of camping under the stars. So we'd planned a weekend trip to the mountains to get our nature fix. We'd found an ideal spot away from the beaten path and had just set up our tents for the night when an eerie sound cut through the tranquil silence, screams echoing from deeper within the woods. Now, as a pair of sensible black folks, we weren't about to stick around and investigate the source of those screams. Mountains folks eating people. Nope, not a scenario we were interested in starring in. We quickly packed up our stuff, doused the fire, and without another word hopped into our car to find a different camping spot. As we moved further away from the spine, chilling sounds, we decided to make a pit stop at a convenience store at the foot of the mountains. The clerk was a local, a friendly old chap who'd probably seen more sunsets than there were pebbles on the mountains. We casually mentioned the screams we'd heard, expecting him to be as alarmed as we were, but his reaction was quite the opposite. He laughed, a hearty laugh that seemed to shake his entire frame. When he finally calmed down, he wiped a tear from his eye and told us what was really going on. Turns out, those weren't screams of horror we'd heard, but sounds of pleasure. The local tradition was something we had not anticipated. 
a yearly outdoor orgy for people who dressed up in animal costumes. A furry gathering, if you will. This eccentric group had been congregating in the mountains for years. As per the clerk, and we had unwittingly set camp right in the heart of their rendezvous spot, we drove away, laughter replacing the fear in our hearts. Our father-son camping trip had taken a strange turn, certainly, but it was one for the books, an unusual story to tell around future campfires, a peculiar local tradition that we'll always associate with our love for camping. Needless to say, we made a mental note to do better research about local traditions before choosing our next camping spot. Before I get started, uh, I would like to make a disclaimer that this will be a lengthy post, so forgive me for any grammatical errors or run-ons. Also, I am retelling each story as well as it was told to me. I will not be changing any descriptions that are compared to movies as to be appeased any skeptics who don't believe these accounts solely because the eyewitness makes a film comparison. Furthermore, all three of these incidents were told to me over the years from three very different people who have no connection to each other. I never shared the other stories I heard about this family to the person sharing their own account as to not influence their own memory or story. I just let them confide in me their own experience with this family. First story. I went to high school with a well-known successful pow-wow dancer competitor. And this was his story. He began dating this girl from a large family prominent in the pow-wow competition world. The parents of the large family were not employed and the father performed odd jobs around the community. Their main source of income was the monetary prizes and winnings from competing in pow-wows. Having a large family with no stable income resulted in them being low on the socioeconomic ladder. Being from a small rural res town, there isn't much to do for date night. So it is very common to drive around on old dirt roads and park and stargaze. One night he picks up the youngest daughter to spend time together. However, that night they opt to stay parked in his car on her family's property. Most Navajo families have their homes in small circular networks, such as a cul-de-sac, minus the paved roundabout. There is a derelict traditional mud roof Hogan on the property. The roof was caved in, but the framing for the doorway was still intact. Oddly enough, there was still a raggedly old Navajo blanket draped over the doorway, lightly flapping in the wind. He says all of a sudden the dogs started howling and barking. They both stopped talking and stared at the dogs. Something had the dogs' attention. The dogs target their alarmed barking at the doorway of the old Hogan. He feels uneasy, but tries to hide it. She is still smiling and unfazed by all the commotion. The blanket stops flapping in the wind and falls flat. It's eerily silent except for the howling of the dogs. Suddenly something rips through the doorway of the old Hogan. As this figure exits the Hogan, the dogs begin to chase it. He told me it was a fucking werewolf. He said it looked exactly how the lichens looked in Underworld, the movie, except not muscular. Like a sickly, emaciated werewolf. He said it takes about three long strides before jumping incredibly high straight into the tree. The dogs continue to chase it and cry off into the distance. He is in complete shock. He realizes that his girl's reaction did not match his. 
She seemed familiar or unafraid. In the moments following, he said she seemed to, for lack of a better word, tried to gaslight him. She began to tease him in an unfunny way and emasculate him by insinuating he was afraid. She said things like, Oh, you're afraid of skinwalkers. Long story short, they eventually ended their relationship. It was a very ugly split. He said her family was nasty, etc. He said he should listen to all the other pow-wow community members when they warned him that. That family was bad, and they dealt in bad medicine. Second story, the older siblings of that family. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Y'all shared residence in Phoenix. It is very common for people from the res to move to the valley after high school. The older siblings weren't any different. This story was told to me by another young Navajo man. Just like the first, he didn't believe in traditional values. He believed that. ESW, spiritual healing, medicine men, etc. were all myth. At the time, he was dating the second youngest daughter. He expressed that her older brothers didn't like him and on many occasions tried to physically fight him. The SW family members were known partiers and on many occasions would throw res parties, parties in the city with all or most attendees being from the res. The older brothers despised him. However, he recalled that they would call a ceasefire, so to speak, during house parties. He said they would even be so kind as to even make him mixed drinks or bring him beers. He didn't think anything of it. As nice as the brothers appeared, he still wasn't allowed to spend the night with his girlfriend under their roof. So after the house parties would dwindle down and end, he found himself behind the wheel of his car, driving back to his own apartment. He would never remember getting into his vehicle, driving home, or getting pulled over. He believed he was just blacking out from the alcohol. I know it is very dangerous to get behind the wheel and drink and drive. Mind you, this is his story, and I'm only repeating what he said, and I'm not condoning any of it. Him and his girlfriend loved each other, so he always returned to spend time with her. Fast forward to the next four house parties, and the same thing kept happening. He would spend the night in jail and rack up another DUI. Pretty soon, he had four or six DUIs. He did time and paid the fines. He lost his job and his lifestyle. His mother, who was a very traditional Navajo woman and single mother, begged him to come home back to the res and get his life sorted. Without any other prospects, he decided to come back to the res. Upon returning home, his mother drove him to see a medicine woman. Feeling hopeless and lost, he thought, what could it hurt, right? 
If he didn't believe in it or it didn't exist, what is the harm? Nothing lost. Nothing gained mentality. At least it would satisfy his mother's anxiety. He was shocked that by looking into the fire, the medicine woman told him in detail everything. He had never met this medicine woman before, or up until this point had never been to a ceremony. She told him that she saw him drinking and partying with S.W. She told him that the alcoholic drinks they were offering him were laced with corpse powder. She saw their hatred for him. Their bad medicine was meant to be fatal. They were trying to kill him. She said had those cops never pulled him over, each time he would continue on his way to his death. At the point of returning home, him and that girl had broken up due to his trouble with the law and troubles with drinking. Third story. This story was told to me by a gay Navajo man who had a long-standing, strictly platonic friendship with one of the brothers. They had gone to high school together and had remained friends in life. This happened at one of the aforementioned notorious Riz parties the S.W. family members used to host. The other brothers got upset and visibly angry that there was a gay man at their party. They wanted him to leave or else there would be trouble. The gay man told his friend that he would gladly leave to avoid any drama. However, he pleaded with him to stay and enjoy the festivities. The gay man was told to wait in the friend's room while the friend sorted everything out and calmed down his brother. About 30 to 45 minutes passes. He decides it isn't worth the trouble and he is just going to leave. He walks down back stairwell that directly leads to the garage. As he slowly and quietly descends, he begins to hear the brothers arguing. He stands silent and begins to listen. He can hear the familiar voice of his friend pleading with his brothers. He repeatedly hears his friend command his brothers not to fight him or put anything on him. On the res, any form of the phrase, put anything on him, someone roughly translates to when someone witches another person. If someone witches another person, they put bad medicine on them. So the term put anything on him can only mean putting bad medicine or cursing. It's just common sense knowledge on the res. If you are not from the res, you may have many ways to interpret that phrase, but there is only one meaning on the res. He is shocked about what he hears and slowly backtracks up the stairs and finds another way out of the house. He leaves and never goes to another party there. It is said among the members of the small town that the Pow Wow family are skinwalkers who curse their rivals in order to win Pow Wow competitions. If you're from the Rez, I'm sure you might have heard of this family or have even heard stories yourself. There was many times that you would smell them and hear them. My dad and I used to go running at night up to the falls. It is just down the old logging road from our house. There are no lights out there. All you have is the moon on a good night, so it was very dark. We had just enough light to see, but not a full moon. And there is his high brush and, and trees on both sides of the road. We were just getting close to the falls when we stared to smell it. There is no way to put it to words. It's musty and rotten and a little like wet dirt. We had no idea that it was just up ahead about 50 feet or so. It moved so fast that you could not really see it. Just a big, fast, dark movement, but we heard it hit the brush like a truck. The brush here is very dense with a lot of blackberry vines and trees. It just crashed through them like they were nothing. 
It moved through the brush going to the falls, and you couldn't hear it anymore. Dad and I knew what it was. They are up there all the time. You hear them, smell them. They get up in the trees and throw things around, so we weren't all that socked. But this one was closer than normal, so we went home. The next day, we went back and found that it had cut a path through the brush, almost nine feet wide, and smashed everything in its path. Small trees were just broken off, and grooves were left in the ground about every eight feet or so. I don't know how long it was. We didn't want to walk it. In closing, I would like to say that I had been around all kinds of animals and have smelled bear, and yes, they are up there too. But the bear up there are not so big, and bear does not smell like that. If you ever smelled it, you would know the difference. This happened to me two years ago when I took my fiancée on her first backcountry camping trip. I have always been a bigger camper and love backpacking backcountry, and so I thought I would take her to one of my favorite places. This was in early September and was kind of an end-of-summer trip. It was her and I, along with my dog. We were backpacking up to a lake in the Alpine Lakes Wilderness which is a remote area in the Cascades just east from Seattle. It is about a one, two-day hike up depending on your shape and how quickly you are trying to get it L. It is very deep and far away from any civilization. The trailhead we started on is about an hour and a half from any town, and not many people use it. We park, and there are no other cars around, and we decide to get started. We had been hiking for six or seven hours, and everything is going normal, until one random moment. My dog was running without his leash on. I always keep him off leash when we are back country and is about 100 feet up the trail ahead of us when he stops and starts snarling and whining. I think that maybe he sees something and get my bear spray out just in case it may be a black bear or something. Instead, out pops this older man probably in his late fifties with a huge beard, and he looked really dirty and homeless, with a very small pack. My dog starts freaking out and barking at this point, which is strange because he usually loves people. I put my spray away and leash my dog, and the guy stops to talk to us, and I apologize for my dog. There was something off about him. I'm not sure what it was, but he was strange, asking us where we were going how long we were going to be staying, etc. I was getting this strange vibe and eventually try to cut the conversation short with him and tell him we have to keep going. We part ways and continue on, and I can tell me fiancé is kind of creeped out by it. At this point, I try not to think much of it because I have come across strange people on the trail all the time. She is scared, saying, but we are so far away from other people, what would happen if he tried to hurt us, etc.? I try to calm her down and say she is safe with me. About one hour later, it's getting dark, and I decide to stop and make camp. As the night goes on, she forgets about the whole thing, and we get ready to go to bed. We fall asleep, and all is good until I wake up in the middle of the night to my dog growling under his breath, staring out of our tent. I look out and try to see if anything was there. The moon was out, and it was a clear sky, and as my eyes adjust, I start making out a figure of a man. I start freaking the F out and begin thinking about the guy we ran into before. Why the F is he outside our tent this late? 
Why would he turn around and come back up the trail if he was hiking out? I try to hush my dog and prevent my fiancé from waking up to prevent her from freaking out as well. I slowly slipped my hand into my pack and pulled my three hundred fifty-seven caliber out of my pack that I always carry loaded with me backcountry and laid there trying to keep my eyes on him. I laid there for what felt like hours, until eventually he just kind of slipped away into the darkness. I didn't go back to sleep and laid there until the sun came up, freaking out at any sound of moment or twigs breaking. The next morning we wake up and I tell my fiancé that we should just go look at the lake and head back. It was only an hour or so away at that point. She was confused but didn't ask why. I didn't want to freak her out and tell her what happened the night before. But I really wanted to get the F out of there. The whole way up to the lake and hiking out to our car, I kept my three hundred fifty-seven caliber on my waist with my hand close to it. We never ran into him or saw him again, and I never told my fiancé about what happened because I didn't want her to be afraid of future trips. But it still creeps me out, and I can't figure out why the F he came back up there and what he was planning on doing. I was just grateful I had my gun and dog, otherwise I probably would been even more freaked out. My dad told me this story. He swears on his life it's true. Well, anyway, his friends owned a plane and was going to fly up and try to spot some elk. They spotted some and stuck my dad off into the woods. Around four o'clock, nothing was seen. So he was walking through this clear cut and heard a usual sound. He looked up and seen an animal standing on two legs that was screaming at him. He said that it was grayish in color. He said it was around a 100 yards away and no way possible could have been a bear. He also said it made some of the weirdest noises he'd ever heard. After it was done screaming at whatever, he said it turned around and walked back into the forest on two legs. Went on my first solo camping trip when I was around 21 years old. Took my miniature dachshund with me. Stayed in a remote campground where there was hardly anyone around. In the middle of the night, I was woken up several times by the sound of chanting, yelling, and singing from across the river. Not in the campground itself, but within hearing distance. Freaked out, I snuggled up to my dog and finally fell asleep with her on my chest. In the middle of the night, I woke up with a jolt, a chill going through my body. Opened my eyes, tipped my head back, and looked through the tiny square vent in the tent directly behind my head. An older man's face was looking in at me through the tent window, a man with long black hair and big black eyes. I was so terrified I couldn't move. I couldn't even make a sound. I certainly tried. At some point, my dog, a miniature dachshund, sensed my tension and woke up too. She was still sleeping smack dab in the center of my chest. She looked out the window directly at whatever it was that was behind me and let out a single sharp growling bark. The moment she barked, my body relaxed and I was able to move again. And I realized I may have been asleep and experiencing sleep paralysis the whole time. There was nobody behind the tent anymore. It's very possible it was all a very realistic, freaky dream. Ooh. 
I'm not a hunter, but I do live in Colorado and frequent the mountains often. My first scary thing was my friend and I were going to an off-road spot, and it was a two-day trip. We took my truck, which doesn't have a camper. Anyway, we pull off the main road to an outcropping that was a pull-off area next to a river and bust out some beers, a little grill, and just kick back for a bit. Once we got done eating, I kept hearing this growling noise across the stream. I asked my buddy about it, and he wrote it off like I was nuts. We start unpacking the tent and put it together, and sure enough, the growling gets louder, and two glowing eyes are pacing the bank in front of us. He notices it. We both freak out and throw the tent complete and all in the truck and bailout. We ended up sleeping in the back of the truck about two miles away. Totally freaked out. Different time when I was younger. We went to Apex Road. It was my first time there, and what's common for everyone else freaked me out. There's a 40-ish foot steel cross erected that looks like it was made out of leftover metal. There's an abandoned mine shaft and also an old abandoned school that when we inspected it at dusk had whispering sounds come from it. That was nutty. Now keep in mind this stuff was easily a hundred years old, but in order to get to the top of it, you need four-wheel drive and there's eight or nine switchbacks that are scary as F. It blows my mind someone settled up there at one point. I'm from a small Midwestern town, and nothing like what I saw happens here, to my knowledge, and is pretty much completely normal. This took place in the fall of my seventh grade, so around 2016. Even though it was a few years ago, I know that I saw something, but I'm not 100% sure what I saw. By the way, I'm telling this in first person simply because it's easier. My mom called up the stairs. I quickly went towards her voice as she began to explain. Your dad and I are heading out for the night. Do you mind walking the dog before we leave? I simply nodded in response, clipping in the dog's leash as she continued talking about what they were doing that night. It was a late November night and the sun had already set. By the time my mom finished talking, the dog was clipped in and ready to go. I closed the front door and immediately felt chills not only from the temperature but the atmosphere. Not one person was out. It's not that late, is it? I said to myself. I had made it half a street when my dog stopped to sniff something on the ground. I looked out at the road ahead, nothing but houses and a one-stop sign. My brain immediately thought back to a dumb video my friend and I watched trying to scare ourselves in class where, just like me, someone walking looks up at a stop sign to see a woman staring back at them, literally standing on the stop sign. I still couldn't shake a creepy feeling as I looked down the road. Then my heart stopped. I'll try my best to describe the horrifying sight I saw. Looking back at me was about an eight, nine foot tall, shadowy figure. It was something humanoid with two legs, tall and skinny. The arms were even longer reaching the ground, but just as skinny. The body was slightly round, complete with a long, skinny neck and no face. Once again, I say no face. I was purely terrified. I pulled my dog to run, but she was frozen. I yelled out to her, making it here then see me in the process. It began to follow us in what I can only call a drunk on a tightrope walk. In response, I ran, cutting through my neighbor's backyard in the process. 
I slipped and fell all while running on the muddy grass. I turned around, picking up my dog in one motion. It was even closer now. My head was pounding as I ran with tears in my eyes. Turning around, I fixed my grip on the dog and ran for my life. I opened my back door, throwing us inside. It's going to get me. I yell as my parents run to me. Thank God they hadn't left yet. Truly believing I was almost kidnapped, my dad ran outside. I sat for the next few minutes sobbing, trying to explain the events that just occurred to my mom. My dad walked in through the back door and simply said there's no one. Ever since that day, I've had terrible problems with anxiety and depression. To be fair, it could have nothing to do with what I saw, but I have to think that a small part of it was from the pure terror I saw that day. So I live in a really small town in Washington State. That means super high grocery prices at a small town grocery store. So I hardly ever visit this place and do most of my shopping 20 miles away. In town. I only shop there when I don't really feel like driving all the way into town for just a few items or need it ASAP. The store I went to recently had self-serve registers installed, and of course cameras go along with it that watch each and every item that you scan. There are four registers, and all are watched by one employee. Got up to the register with three items in hand and my 15-year-old daughter behind me who was not carrying anything. I put the three items onto the counter and scanned one by one. Once I was done, I tried to pay, but the register was going off, saying that I needed help. Okay, weight was off on one item. I was thinking, employee comes up and sees that there are five items on my list, but only three in the bagging area. She asks me, where are the other two items? I told her, I only came up with three items to begin with, and she watched me scan all of them, so I don't know what other two items she was talking about. My daughter also said she only saw me scan three items. All different. So here's the weird part. The cashier played back the video from the camera above the register, and sure enough, there were two items being scanned by me in the video that I never even showed up with. Clear as day. These were high-definition cameras, and the items were a pack of paper towels and a candy bar. The three items I came up with were milk, sour cream, and ice cream. The cashier freaked out, and of course so did I, because there is no doubt it was me in the camera, because the clothes, my bald spot, and my daughter right next to me. This gave me chills, seeing myself on the camera, scanning something that I didn't even bring up to the registers. Cashier told me to just pay and get out of the store. This was about two years ago. To this day, I'm still confused as hell as to how this happened. I'm a skeptic of anything paranormal and or unexplained and can usually debunk most things. But damn, this even has me stumped hardcore. This happened to me a good 23 years ago, but it is stuck in my mind clear as day. I was working in one of my first proper jobs in an office as a receptionist. I picked up a phone at one point intending to dial out, and I heard people speaking. I sort of just froze at first, part surprise and part curiosity, I guess. This was the conversation snippet I heard. Man, 
It happens sometimes when you dial nine to get an outside line. Woman. Yeah, I hung up then because I assumed I'd forgotten to cut off my end of the call when transferring one or had somehow accidentally dialed in. Anyway, later that day, I went to make an external call and pressed nine to get an outside line. I must have pressed it more than once because before I knew it, nine, 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 what is your emergency? came through. In a panic, I hung up. The phone rang a few minutes later. It was the call handler. A man, asking if everything was okay and why 999 had been called and hung up on. I explained to him I didn't mean to call and I kid you not a word. For word repeat of what was said above happened. And in that moment, I realized that the woman on the phone was me. And this was the phone call I'd just heard on picking up the phone. I'm a skeptic with a lot of this sort of stuff, but to this day I've not been able to rationalize it away. I was sober, wider awake at work, and it definitely happened. Thoughts? I grew up in western Colorado, not too far from the Utah border. There are old roads going everywhere in the desert out there. You can go for days and days without seeing another soul. Pretty remote. I was around 17 when a good friend and I acquired some magic mushrooms. We, being super in touch with nature and stuff, decided to go into the desert for a couple of days and find our spirit animals. Or whatever silly shit you do on mushrooms. My friend ended up having to postpone for a day. Don't remember why. But I was bummed. I made the decision to just go out alone the first night and get good and drunk for a day. Good decisions abound. After following an old road for several hours that took me into Utah, I ended up at the bottom of a canyon next to the Colorado River. There was a beautiful sandbar out in the river a bit that I decided to make my camp on. I didn't want to get my old Toyota pickup stuck trying drive to it and figure my friend coming later would see my truck and have an easy time finding me if he didn't have reception to call me. So I just made a few trips wading through about knee-deep water to bring my camping stuff, which consisted of fishing pole, guitar for sweet jams, handle of super top-shelf plastic bottle whiskey, vanilla Coke to make whiskey taste slightly less of death portable CD player, also for sweet jams, sleeping mat, water for the hangover, snacks tarp, and my handy-dandy SKS, super cheap semi-auto rifle that shoots the same bullet as an AK, because mountain lands. So I settle in a bit and discover the, the side of the sandbar facing the river was covered in driftwood, being an excellent friend. I decided to make a cool campsite with the driftwood for when my buddy arrived. Drinking shit whiskey, let's call it shitski from now on, and building a driftwood camp in the desert sun on a river was a great way to spend a day. Ten of ten. There was a fire pit with benches, a little shelter with a smaller pit to keep drinks and snacks from cooking in the sun. All good and functional campsite stuff. Then Shitsky started to wrap its fingers around my brain. The stuff I made became less functional. Totem poles, longer pieces, just sunk into the sand like a mini driftwood forest, etc. As night set in, I built a nice fire and decided to crank up the aforementioned sweet jams and go catfishing. 
I had early success with my endeavor and decided to eat the freshly caught catfish. After my delicious, well-deserved meal, I decided to honor the magnificent beast by placing its head on the top of one of my driftwood totems. Shortly thereafter, the shitski finished me off, and I apparently decided slightly wet sand was a good place to rest my bones. I was awakened at far to early an hour, covered in insect bites with a terrible, terrible headache. What had awoken me from my drunken slumber and was compounding the effects of the headache was a colony of loud-ass birds nesting on the cliff opposite the river from me. I don't know what kind they were, but the sound was more than I could bear in my state. Idiot logic kicked in, and I decided to silence them by firing Mr. SKS in their general direction, which didn't work. Don't worry, I made sure not to hit their nests or anywhere near them. I am not a murderer unless you are a delicious catfish. At this exact moment, a tour group of rafters came around the bend just upriver from me. Having just heard rifle shots, they were all dead silent and staring at me in horror. There I was in all my young, stupid glory, standing in my tidy whiteies covered in bug bites, my long hippie hair looking exactly like I had spent the night sleeping in wet sand, holding a Chinese assault rifle, surrounded by totem poles and all sorts of weird shit. This banquet of what the F being garnished by a catfish head on a stick. I fully realize this region receives a lot of revenue from tourism and I didn't want to be that asshole that ruins it for everyone, so I put on my best smile, made sure my junk wasn't showing, and slowly waved. As they very slowly floated past, not one of them moved. They just stared, frozen in either horror or awe, maybe both. I was about eight years old when I went camping with my mom and her boyfriend at the time out in central Florida between Tampa and Daytona, just a bit more south. We set up a fire and had hot dogs over the fire. At about eleven of my mom, after having a few glasses of wine, decided she was cold and being eaten alive by mosquitoes and decided to go to her tent and sleep. I asked for my own tent, so I set up mine for my mom's about 20 yards away. Fast forward about four hours later, I'm woken up by thick or heavy footsteps by my tent. I figured it was my mom or her boyfriend going to the bathroom, so I didn't think anything of it. Until I heard more. More and more, I heard footsteps near my tent, and I laid motionless. I was absolutely petrified. There was about four sets of feet pounding the dirt, inches from my tent. The fire was out, and it was a pitch-black night, and then I saw two lights. One was red, and the other was a flash of white. Not like a picture, more like a blink or a strobe that was cut off. The red light stared directly at me like it knew exactly where I was. After what felt like four hours, the sound of the steps faded off, and I hauled ass to my mom's tent to wake her and my boyfriend. The most startling part was the morning after. My mom woke me up in a flurry, and we left the campsite early in the morning. Everything was almost packed and was shoved into our Bronco. She never told me why. 